0: Let's uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and we'll be in verse uh, 23 and we'll be scattered out to a few other verses and everything, but uh, we'll be looking at this passage. Let's bow and have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your sovereign grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love and we thank you for the salvation that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we do have a God that is alive and is well and is in control of all things and by his will and by his purpose, all things are coming to be exactly as he has predestinated it to be from the foundation of the world. And Father, we just are so grateful today to be gathered together. We're thankful for these visitors that we have here today. We're thankful for the brethren that are here. Lord, we're just grateful for any time that we have to gather together and to worship you. We're thankful we still live in a country that for now allows us to do these things. We know that the days are evil and the people are evil that are running our country. But Lord, we know that you're in control of all those things and that nothing happens apart from your sovereign will. And so our hope is not in them, it's in you. But Lord, we are thankful and grateful that you've placed us in a place that we still can meet freely and to uh, preach and to teach without restraint. And Lord, we are just grateful for that. We pray today, Lord, that you might be magnified, that you might be glorified in our uh, singing and our preaching and our fellowship together, Lord. And so we ask that you just be with us. We pray that the Spirit will lead us in this worship. We pray that you might give me the words to say that I might speak truth and not error, Father. I pray that you might give hearing ears. Uh, to these brethren here and that there might be revelation of, of the things of God by the Spirit as he teaches. And Lord, we just pray that as we do this today, that it will be pleasing to you and that it will be honoring to Christ Jesus. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for uh, <clears throat> justification that even though we are guilty sinners... That you have imputed your righteousness to us, that, uh, we are so, uh, so far seen as righteous that you even call us the Lord our righteous. And so, Lord, we're just, we're just grateful, uh, for all that has been freely given to us. And again, we just pray that you would be with us now, uh, through the preaching of this word, that you might teach your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I often have a lot of discussions, uh, over this passage of scripture we're looking at today. And matter of fact, it's kind of come up within, uh, Facebook circles, uh, recently, uh, and everything. And, uh, as I've mentioned before, I, uh, before, I always like to give a reason for why we believe what we believe, the doctrine that we hold to with our church. Doctrine is very important. Uh, church without doctrine is really not church. Uh, churches fellowship around doctrine uh, specifically around Jesus Christ but through the teaching or his doctrine Right? Uh, a lot of churches fellowship because they have basketball goals and pool tables and video games a lot of churches uh, uh, fellowship because they have a, a cool band or lights and video screens and all that kind of stuff <clears throat> but the people of God gather together to worship God in his doctrine, and about his Christ, Jesus. And so that's why we meet, and that's why we put that focus on there. And so we often are, uh, <clears throat> uh, we're often uh, uh, faced with people of differing doctrine. We're faced with people with different understanding of God's word. And so whenever we come to, to these things, we have to look to God's Word because just as I mentioned a while ago, I can be wrong. Uh, you can be wrong about what you think. Everybody is fallible. The only way that we know anything to be true is if the Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Matter of fact, in uh, the epistles of John, uh, the Holy Spirit inspires John to write that, uh, that, that the anointing that we have from above or that, that Spirit that we get from above that indwells us, the Holy Spirit of God, whenever we are born from above, that he will be our teaching that we don't have any need for any man to teach us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have preachers and teachers. That's why we're, I mean we're here today. But the preacher isn't the one who makes that truth known to you. The Holy Spirit is. The preacher is confirming the things that the Holy Spirit has already wrought in your heart and has already begun to teach you, and then you see that to be true through what's being preached, through what the Word of God is already saying. And so how do we know those things? Well, the Word of God is our foundation. That's our truth. And so we always want to go to the Word of God to see <clears throat> what our doctrine, uh, and, and or to have our doctrine from, is from the Word of God. Now, a lot of people have thrown doctrine out of the church, uh, but all doctrine really is is just teaching. That's what that word means. It just means teaching. Uh, A doctrine is a teaching on, like, say, the resurrection. The doctrine of the resurrection is the teaching about the resurrection. Or the doctrine of uh, justification. That's a teaching about what the Bible teaches about justification. So doctrine isn't something that we should shy away from. And doctrine isn't something that we should water down and level down so that the simple can understand it. We should preach it as the Bible proclaims it, as the Bible declares it. Because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Listen, these young children has uh, has grown up under the preaching of the gospel and uh, never once have I tried to dumb down uh, the gospel, dumb down doctrine. We talk about justification and all the 50 cent words that come along with it. We know that if they're going to understand it, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit gives them understanding, not because I made it ABC and 123. So we trust God and the Holy Spirit to teach us these things, right? We teach him, uh, we 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 trust that he is going to do what he is sent to do. The Holy Spirit is sent to lead us into truth. He's sent to be our comforter. He's sent to be uh, the one who convicts us of our sins, right? The Holy Spirit is sent to give us these things and to do these things. But a lot of times we disregard the whole work of the Holy Spirit and, and, and just think, you know, you know, that can't happen. What, you mean just you and God is the only one and you don't need to, a preacher? Well no, brother, we don't really need a preacher to learn truth, to know truth. Now, we need a preacher and we need the congregation because the Lord has, uh, has organized and has ordained those things for our betterment, for our, uh, encouragement, for our edification, for our being built up. Uh, and everything and so there is some importance in that but what I want us to understand this morning as we look at these verses is that whenever we begin to talk about the word of God and the importance of the word of God I don't want anybody in any way think that I'm sliding God's word God's word is very very important we are, I'm grateful that God has preserved his word throughout all the centuries and that we have God's word here in, in this Bible and that we can trust it, we can bank on it We can believe it because it is the words of God. The scripture says that all scripture is given by inspiration or by the breath of God and is profitable. And the first thing it says that it's profitable for is doctrine. The word of God is profitable for teaching and so that's why we go to God's word for our doctrine. We go to God's word for our teaching because that is where truth is found. Truth isn't found in seminaries. Truth isn't found in all these you know, I got these books here, I got some books back there, some down in my room, and then I got a storage shed since we've had to move out of our meeting building to here. I've got books out the, you know, out the ear. They have some truth in it, but they aren't the truth. You know, I can pick up this book right here, and I can read through there as I have on many occasions, and I can find a lot of good things that satisfies my soul. But brother, I can't bank on everything that's in this because it was written by a man. But this right here, this is God's word. And everything that is in it is true. Nothing in here is error. This is spoken by God. And so we go to this to find out what we believe, not listen to these guys tell us what this thing says. Cut out the middleman and go straight to the real thing. And let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. And so that's what we want to do today. The reason I say all that is because there is this notion, there is this uh, discussion that goes around often. And one of the things that our church is uh, usually blighted over is the fact that we believe that men are saved by sovereign grace. We believe that they are saved sovereignly from God. Not by a free choice of man, not by a decision, not by coming down an aisle, shaking a hand, filling out a card, or being dunked in the water. We believe in those things. We believe that you ought to be a part of a local church if you're saved. We believe that you ought to be baptized if, you're, if you've been saved. We believe those things, you know, and we believe that you take them all the way under water, by the way. Um, but those are not the things that save us. Those aren't salvation. Those are just things that we have done because we have been saved. And there are many people that believe that by means, and when I say means, instrumentality, certain things through certain things that you do, we achieve salvation or we get salvation. That even includes the preaching of the gospel. Some people believe that you can only be saved if somebody preaches the gospel to you. But brethren, I'm here to tell you, not only do I believe that uh I was saved apart from the preaching of the true gospel. I believe that I know of two three in. I know three people right off the top of my head that I personally know that has told me they didn't know anything about God, didn't know anything about the scriptures never went to church or anything like that and they just felt the Lord calling them to something and and all of a sudden, that's where they started to look. And they started searching the scripture. They said, well, if I need to know anything about God, I need to get a Bible. So they got a Bible. And they started reading the Bible. And they started believing what it said. Whenever they started believing what it said, they said, well, I need to be at a church somewhere. So they went to a church. There just happened to be a pastor there that preached the true gospel. When he preached the true gospel, that young man said, hey, that's what I believe. Well, how did he know that? when nobody was there. To preaching the Holy Spirit taught him the Holy Spirit taught him those things and so I want to look today at at a passage of scripture here in 1 Peter that talks about being born again because there is this notion in Arminianism I know that's a big word and some may not even be familiar with that there is there is within the belief system that we choose our own destiny we choose salvation we choose Christ Christ has died, done all he can do, and he's left it up to you to make the decision whether or not to be uh, to accept him or to reject him. And if you accept him, then he'll give you that salvation that he purchased on the cross. If you reject him, he won't give it to you, even though he wants you to take it. You won't take it, so he won't give it to you because he's not going to force himself upon you. And thus, at, in the end of time, he's going to have to punish you because you didn't take it. Okay, there is that system of thought. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches, okay? The Bible teaches that Christ has a people that has been given to him of God before the foundation of the world. In John chapter 6, the Bible says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and all who come to me I will in no wise cast out. There is a group of people that have been given to the Son by the Father. And Jesus has come, and He says that that He will lay down His life for the sheep, that He will give His life for them, and that every one of them that has been given to Him, He will not lose one. There is nobody going to be in hell that Christ has not died for. Christ, everyone Christ dies for will be brought in and saved. <clears throat> However, we think that people have to go through conditions, have to have certain means to get there. You have to do this, or you have to do this, or you have to do this. Brethren, the Bible teaches that salvation is free, that it is by grace that you are saved. It is not by any works that you are saved. It's not by any goodness that's in you. None of us are good. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That we are... Unworthy, and that we are unable, uh, or unable to do the things that God requires. That no one can keep the law of God, uh, and, and 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 perform a righteousness that is acceptable of God. Nobody in the flesh can 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 cause God to justify you and to save you because of what you've done. We need somebody outside of ourselves, and that's Christ to save us. And so we put away these notions that men are saved by means or by instrumentality. We believe that God saves his people by himself. He is the Savior. The Bible says whenever Jesus was about to be born and whenever the angel came and they said, you you should call his name Jesus because that word means something. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The reason he was to be called Jesus was because that word there meant Savior. He is the one who saves. He isn't the one who potentially saves or gives salvation a shot. Okay? He is the one who actually saves, and he actually did. Whenever he died on the cross, whenever he was buried in that tomb, whenever he came out of that tomb... That life, that death, that burial, that resurrection, all the work of Christ Jesus on our behalf that actually saved his people. It didn't make it potentially savable. He actually saved it. It was by that work that everyone who will ever be saved was saved. At that point. That was the foundation for what God had already declared before the foundation of the world. We're going to see that in a couple of verses today. As well. So, let's read here 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Because I believe here there is some confusion around some of the phrasing here. And we need to let the Bible define words. Uh, words are very important. I tell the people here all the time. That because this is God's word and that all scripture is given by inspiration. That every word counts. Every word is important in here. There's nothing. God didn't just put filler in this. Okay, every word is important to us and it has meaning but here's the thing God has placed the meaning on these words himself not lexicons not dictionaries I love Strong's I go and use Strong's on some occasions I look at different things but he is not the end all be all W.E. Vine is not the be all end all the Greek lexicons and the Hebrew lexicons are not the be all end all God's word Defines itself and is the best commentary on itself. If we will look into God's Word, we will usually find what God means by using God's Word to look those things up. And so whenever we look at these words, we want to see what does God, how does God use these words? Because He's the one who created language. He's the one who has, uh, put these words that we have now before us in two different languages that now no longer exist. <laughs> Well, why did he do that? So men don't monkey around with it, right? And so we have these words, and we can see what God says by how he defines things. Now, in verse 23 of chapter 1 of First Peter, it says this, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." Now, some may take that and say, there you go, we are born again by the preaching of God's Word. Because it says right there, being born again by the Word of God. And it says by, not the corruptible seed, but the incorruptible. Doesn't the Bible say that that the Word of God is is the seed that we cast and we spread this seed out and everything? Isn't that also what the Word of God is? Well, Brethren, I want us to think think through some things here, and I want us to look at the context where we're at, and also look at what the rest of the Bible says. But one thing we always got to remember whenever we come to God's word and we begin to study it. The Bible says, and Jesus spoke about this of himself, he said, lo, in the volume of the book, it speaks of who? It speaks of him, right? From cover to cover, this book is a book about Christ. Now, it's got a lot of stuff in there. It's got a lot of history. It's got a lot of poetry. It's got a lot of prophecy. It's got a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of stuff in it, right? But on every page, in every context, in everything that is in this book, this book is about Jesus Christ. It's not about your salvation, although that's part of it. It's not about the end times, although that's part of it, too. This right here is a book about Jesus Christ. So whenever we go into any passages of Scripture, whenever we go into any doctrines, we always go in with Christ as the center point. Looking for Christ. We look for Christ in God's Word here because it's about Him. And so we come to these passages and we look. Is this a Christocentric verse? Is this a Mike Smith-centered verse? Okay? If it's a mic centered verse, then I'm going to lose the interpretation of it because I'm going to be looking at it through the eyes of how it pertains to me. So often we lose what the Scriptures say basically because we look at it from the wrong perspective. Now looking at this verse, the Bible says, sure enough that we are born again by the Word of God. But is that talking about these Scriptures? Are you born again by reading these Scriptures? Or hearing me preach these scriptures? Or listening to uh audio Bible, reading those scriptures to you? Or watching some TV program about Jesus? Is that how we're born again? Is that how the Bible says that we're born again? Well, if you take a couple of excluded verses, you know, and rip them out of their context and and the whole tenor of the scriptures, then you can say, yeah, there's a couple of verses that say that, and this is one of them. But let's look at it a little bit closer here. Does this phrase word of God here refer to the Bible? Well, the word there, uh, word in that phrase word of God, that word there, the Greek word behind that is logos. is the word logos. And that word can and does sometimes refer to the word of God, to the scriptures. But the scriptures themselves declare they will abide forever. We believe that. We believe that they are the inspired words of God. But brother, I don't believe that this is talking about that because this word "logos" also refers to the Lord Jesus. If you want to turn with me, you can. Uh, John chapter one, the Gospel of John chapter one. I'm sure this is familiar to many of us here. Most of us probably can quote this without even having to turn over to it. But we see the same word Logos is used here in verse 1 of John chapter 1 where it reads, In the beginning was the Word, there's that word Logos, and the Word was with God, there's that word Logos again, and the Word Logos was God. So who is defined as the Logos? Jesus Christ, right? He is the Logos. But he's also called the Word. Now whenever we come to this right here this Bible these are the words of God that have been spoken that have been breathed out that has been given for those writers to write down. This word these spoken words came from the word. That's why he's called the word. He is the one who has spoken the words of God. No man has seen God no man has heard God no man knows God apart from the man, Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the voice of that God that is invisible. He is God manifested. And so he is the one who has spoken these words. He is the one who has given everything in here uh, for us to learn and to read and to, and to, and to preach. So the only reason that this is the Word of God is because it came from the Word of God, Christ. Okay? So we see that this word, this phrase, Word of God, uh, can refer to Jesus Christ. Uh, looking down at verse 14 also it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the begotten of the, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. He's full of truth. This is where this comes from. This is the truth. Right. This is the truth. But where did that truth come from? It came from Him. It came from Him. He's the one who delivers the truth. Now, I put forth the phrase Word of God in this passage referring to the Lord Jesus uh, and not the Scriptures. And the reason why is because if you're there in 1 John, or in John chapter 1 still, look at verse 13. The reason I believe that it's not the Word of God, or the preaching of the Word of God, that causes us to be born again, is because of verse 13, and a few more that we'll look at. It says here, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How were they born? They were born of God. They were born by the power and the work of God. They weren't born by the will of man. So any preaching that teaches you that you get saved by your will is erroneous. That is not true. That is not gospel. The Bible teaches that over and over and over again that it is by Christ, by God, by His work. That we are saved. Not by any decisions that we make. Not by any choices we make. Not by any works that we do. And conditions that we fulfill. It is him that saves us. But particularly. The being born again. The spiritual life. Coming into the dead sinner. Who is dead and trespasses and sin. When that spiritual life comes in. It comes in by the power. And work of the Holy Spirit. The immediate work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't require anything. We'll look at that here in just a minute. But it says not of, born not of blood, not of the will of man, or of the flesh, or of the will of man. So you're not a Christian because your mom and dad was a Christian. It's not by blood. Okay, these children of mine, I pray that the Lord has saved them. Uh, I pray that they're one of His, but they are not Christians. And will not be Christians because me or my wife is. Okay? My grandparents or my aunt and uncles are not Christians because the family is, is Christians. Okay? It is not of blood and it's not of him that, that, uh, not of the will of the flesh. So it isn't my willing or my doing or my working that makes anybody born again. So that takes out the preacher. The preacher can't make you born again nor of the will of man, your will. You can't change yourself. None of us can change ourselves. The only way that we are born from above, the only way we're born again, the only way that we're quickened, given life is by God. So, first we're not born again by the Bible nor by the preaching of it, but by Jesus Christ himself. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 17, because I would like to solidify uh, all of this about Christ John chapter 17 and look with me at verse 2 John 17 and verse 2 again this is the Lord's Prayer what is the true Lord's Prayer most of us have been taught the Lord's Prayer as our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name that's the disciples prayer the Lord's Prayer is right here this is Jesus praying in the garden before his crucifixion Jesus prayed this prayer. But look at verse 2, he says, As thou hast given him, speaking of Jesus, the Father has given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So who, number one, who's getting the eternal life? As many as been given to the Father, or to the Son, right? That's the only ones that's getting eternal life. No more and no less. Okay? The numbers don't change. They were set in concrete before the foundation of the world. God has elected a people to himself. And those people will be saved. They're going to be scattered out across all the world. They're going to be scattered out throughout many ages. But everyone for whom the Lord has chosen to give to Christ will be saved. And so right here, Jesus himself says, thou hast given me power over all flesh that he, Jesus, should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So Jesus is the one in charge or is the one who is in control of giving eternal life. Okay? That's not the job of, of, of the preachers, not the job of a mission board. Okay, people aren't out in the middle of Africa dying and going to hell because some mission board didn't have enough money to get them over there. Okay, everyone for whom Christ died that was given to him by the Father, they will be given eternal life. Now, do you believe Jesus? You might not believe me. Matter of fact, some of y'all might be here this morning and say, I don't believe that at all. I've never heard that. I don't know about that. I wasn't taught that growing up. But don't believe me believe what God's Word says. What does God's Word say? Who are the ones getting eternal life and how are they getting it? The only ones that's getting eternal life are the ones that was given to Him by the Father and they're getting it because Jesus is in charge of giving it to them. He's the one giving it. Now, turn with me back to John chapter 3. So this is an immediate work. Jesus is in charge of giving this eternal life. But how does he do it? How does Jesus give eternal life? And that's where some will say, well, by preachers preaching the gospel. That's how he does it. I don't necessarily totally disagree with that, but you need to define who the preacher is. It's not me. The preacher is the Holy Spirit. The preacher is the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Look at John chapter 3 and verse 8. It says let me get on the, right page. the wind bloweth where it listens. Let me back up so we get the idea. here. Jesus here, uh, this is Nicodemus coming to Jesus. Everybody remember the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. Asking him some questions. Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or the things of God. Basically is what he's saying. You can't see and understand the things of God apart from being born again. You have to be born again. Now that right there ought to cut any notion that repentance, belief, understanding the gospel, hearing the gospel, all those things that we see, seem to think has to take place before we can get saved. That ought to put a notion to any of it because the Bible here is saying what comes first is being born again. And once you're born again, then you have the spiritual ability to believe, to hear the word of God, to understand it properly, to be able to receive that for yourself, that that's what Christ did for you. To be able to have faith in Christ alone for your salvation. To trust His righteousness as your righteousness. That through the new birth, we are given repentance and faith. Belief in Christ. Uh, hope in Him. We're given all those things, but it's because we've been born from above, not to get born above, from above. So being born again has to come First, because right here, God himself says no man can see the kingdom of God except he's born again. He has to be born again first. So the thing that precedes everything in our experience of salvation is the new birth. That has to come first. So the gospel can't make you saved. The gospel can't make you born again because you can't understand the gospel. You can't believe the gospel or receive the gospel because the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. The only one that can receive the things of the Spirit of God are those who have been made spiritual. And that comes through the new birth. And so Jesus here, he says that no man can see these things except he be born again. In verse 5 he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Then he says this, now pay close attention. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So there's two kinds of births there. There's a fleshly birth. That's what we are in Adam. We were born once by our parents who through lineage all the way back to Adam was born of Adam and we are born in the flesh. We are born with the nature of sin. We are born unable without the capacity for spiritual things and the inability to keep God's law. That's how we're born. We're born sinners by nature. But it's a second birth that we're looking at, one that is born of the Spirit, one that is born from above, and the Bible calls it a new creation. Okay, that we are a new creation, created in Christ Jesus. The Bible calls it a uh, 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 a a birth that is a, a a spiritual birth, as opposed to our first birth, which was a fleshly birth. So that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that's all it is, ever can be, ever will be. There is no making your flesh any better. But that which is born from above, that is placed within this fleshly vessel, that spirit that is of God, that comes from God, that is the spirit of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That spirit that comes in us, that is born from above. That is the spirit of God, and that is spirit. And the Bible says that it's perfect and it cannot sin. And that's a whammy on us, isn't it? We've got a spirit that's inside us that cannot sin, and loves holiness and righteousness, but yet we have a flesh that all it does is sin, and those two things are at war with each other all the time. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, and so Jesus goes on, he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now look at verse 8. The Bible says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So it is, or so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Okay, so here we found a little bit more to the puzzle, right? We see Jesus has been given the authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all that the Father has given him. But now we see that the instrument is not the gospel that he does it through, it's the Holy Spirit. He does that by, look at verse 8 again, very end, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We are born again by the Spirit of God. The immediate working of the Holy Spirit who brings into us something that we didn't have before. And that is a new spirit. It's not our old spirit that's been reworked. It's not us that has been changed to a better person. Okay? The birth that's from above is completely foreign from us. It's outside of us. It came from heaven. The fleshly birth came from earth. We are of the earth earthy. But the spiritual birth is that which is from heaven, the heavenly man? We are born after the heavenly man. So there, we have two seed. We are we are seeds by two progenitors, right? I, I've preached on this before. If you ever follow anything on sermon audio, I have some teaching on the two seeds. But we have two fathers. We have Abraham, who is our father in the flesh, and we have Christ, who is our father in the spirit. Right? We are his children. We are uh, Adam's children by flesh. What what do we call our children? What's another name that we call our children? We call them kids. I was told by one guy though not to call your kids kids because kids are goats. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't call your kids your children kids because kids are goats. But anyway, one of the things that we call is that this is my seed. This is my seed my progeny, my seed, right? So every seed comes from the original seed, right? The first seed has within him all the life of all the other seeds that's going to come from him. Adam, whenever he was created, was created with all of his people in him. Every one of us is here today came from that one seed, Adam. Everyone who is... A child of grace has come from one seed, which is Christ. He is the original. In him is life. If we have life, it's because we have him. The Bible says that our life, and we're not talking about physical life here, fleshly life. We're talking about that heavenly life, that eternal life that we've been talking about. Eternal life come by Jesus Christ, but the Bible says that life is already ours before we ever get it, and that it was hid in Christ with God. So before the foundation of the world, that life was in him, and we were given to Christ, and that life was ours. Mike Smith had eternal life before Mike Smith was ever born. Mike Smith had eternal life before anything was ever done. And that that life, though, was held with Christ in God. And at the appointed time of Christ, whenever he said so, he sent his Spirit to bring forth that life in me. To put that life in me. This is what this is talking about in verse 8. The wind, or the Spirit, blows where it lifted. We was out here working in our yard yesterday, Had leaves and twigs and suddenly it was burning it in our little burn thing over here. And the wind was just whipping all over the place. One time it was blowing this way and then all of a sudden it turned around and was blowing this way and then it was blowing this way. You couldn't get away from the smoke. Okay? Didn't know when it was gonna start. About the time we start to go put a little shovel of leaves down in there and the wind would blow it off your, off your shovel. Didn't know where, when it was coming. Didn't know where it went afterwards. Couldn't stop it. It just did what it wanted to do. This is what Jesus is talking about. The wind bloweth where it listeth. That word "listeth" there means where it wills or where it desires. The wind blows where it desires or where it wills. It doesn't blow where you direct it. The Spirit of God doesn't blow where you direct it. It's kind of funny. We, I grew up in a different belief system, and. Um, We would have yearly revivals. We are going to control the spiritual lives by bringing in revival. Listen, brethren, revival can't happen without the Holy Spirit doing something in the hearts. And we can't plan a revival. You can't work up a revival. You can't bring forth a revival. Only God can do that. He can only do that work in the hearts of people. Now, with that being said, Jesus here says... That the wind blows wherever it wills. And it says, So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit here is sovereign. It blows where it wills. Now that will is no different than the will of Jesus because it's His Spirit. He has sent forth His Spirit. Okay, it's His Spirit. You can't you can't chop God up into all these different parts. God is one God they have one will they have one desire one purpose they have one uh, one mind they're not thinking you know God is not uh, broken up and has different you know thoughts about different things and they got to get together and say well what do you think about this what do you think about this what do you I don't know no God is one God and Christ is manifesting that God and he's the one that is telling the spirit who is his spirit to go give life. So it says, He will. So the Spirit here is, uh, is sovereign. Uh, look at verse 63, uh, John chapter 6 and verse 63. John chapter 6 and verse 63. It says here, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, or brings to life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Now, Jesus here is saying that it's the spirit that quickens people. Not, the, not, not anything that we do in the flesh. None, nothing that we do in the flesh is what causes people to be born again. It's the spirit that quickeneth. <coughs> so, some things I want to note about the spirit. Number one, he blows where it listens. And we've already seen that. He's sovereign. He's sovereign no man controls the spirit of God or tells it when or what or where to go he goes where it wants to go that's what it means to be sovereign nobody tells you what to do okay second of all with the fact that the spirit is sovereign the use of means neither speed up nor hinder where he listeth or where he wills to go if if the Spirit is sovereign and it goes where it wants to go and gives life at the appointment of Christ, then it cannot be sped up by your efforts and it cannot be hindered by your lack of efforts. Now, side note, I'm not saying just everybody, quesera, we're just going to do whatever we want to do. Okay? Quesera, may man, I've been the right phrase, I don't even know what that means. Uh... We don't just say, hey, whatever, whatever will be, will be. We're just going to kick it along. That's not that's not what I'm saying, that we are just to be indifferent about anything. But what I'm saying is the mentality that I grew up with is that you got to work, 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 work for Jesus. you got to get out there and work, work, work for Jesus. Otherwise, his kingdom isn't being built. Last time I remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. Not you, but he will build his church. Last I remember, it's his kingdom. Not our kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. Not us. And I'm sure he is the good shepherd. And he knows how to handle his sheep. Better than I do. So the spirit is sovereign. No one tells us what to do. The spirit isn't hindered. Or sped up by our efforts. And also being sovereign. He is not a begging. Wooing. Petitioning. Hopeful trying to get people saved. Jesus isn't out there outside the uh, heart's door saying, please let me in. And every time I hear some preacher and I hear it often. I hear preachers talking that way. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. If you'll just let him in, he's out there. Are you going to leave him out there in the cold? Every time I think of that, I think of the Christmas carol movie with a tiny tin. Please, Do you just give me a little more, the man? whatever. You know, Jesus isn't like that. The Holy Spirit, Christ, God is sovereign. He is not out there begging people to be saved. He's not out wooing people to accept Him. He's not out petitioning their hearts to be given to Him. Listen, human involvement cannot deter the sovereign Spirit of Christ. The Spirit gives life without the consent, and apart from any amassed knowledge of the one receiving life. It doesn't matter how much you think you know or try to gain knowledge in, that isn't what causes you to be born again. If the Spirit is the one that gives life, if Christ is the one who appoints him to go, and he does it as he wills in his time at the appointed time, then there is nothing outside of God and God alone that can cause someone to be born again. Listen, brethren, if it depends on means or accomplishing some condition by your choice or your will or your actions or your understanding, then the Holy Spirit is not sovereign and does not blow where it listeth. That verse is, ch- Jesus lied to us if that's the case. Now let me ask you a question here. And this is something that I thought about <clears throat> yesterday as I was preparing this. Those who hold to the to the notion that quickening comes from means of grace like preaching or reading or praying or accepting or believing or whatever it is, would all those things fall under uh, righteous works or unrighteous works? I think we'd all say that they're not unrighteous works, right? We'd say, well, that's not true. If it's unrighteous works, it ain't going to be worth nothing, right? But what about Righteous work. Would you consider those righteous works? To believe, to repent, to, to trust, to, uh, to pray, to, uh, to listen to preaching and all that stuff? Well, someone said, well, yeah, those are works of, those are works of righteousness. Well, what does the Bible say about works of righteousness as it pertains to being born again? The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit Ghost. See, our being begotten, our being uh, born again, does not come from works of righteousness. And it surely doesn't come from works of unrighteousness. But it doesn't come from works of righteousness which we have done. My preaching, your listening, your hearing, your accepting, your whatever... That is not going to be it because God will not cause you to be born again based upon any works that you do. The wind blows where it listeth. Now we have a scripture. Turn, if you would, start turning to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. We see here the scriptures speak of Christ giving life by His Spirit. But I want you to notice how it is Christ who gives life to a certain number by the fiat. If, does, anybody, does anybody know what I mean when I say use the word fiat? What that word means? That word fiat means command. Okay? Or instruction. Okay? Uh, the word, remember earlier I was mentioning to you that the word, word in the scriptures, The word behind that was logos. Well, there's another Greek word behind our English word word, and it is rhema, R-H-E-M-A, rhema, okay? And that word means by command or by instruction, okay? And so, as we see here in this passage of Scripture, now remember, this is something that was happening with with the prophet Ezekiel. It was a physical thing that happened. It was a true event that took place. But brethren, remember, the things that's written in the Old Testament, even though they were actual happenings, actual events, they were written for our understanding of spiritual things. They were types. They were foreshadows. They were things to show us Christ. They were all the actions of those people. Remember, was Israel in captivity in Egypt? Absolutely they was for 400 years. Did God bring them out of Egypt? Absolutely he did. Did he take them through the Red Sea? Absolutely he did. Did he bring them in to to the promised land? Yes, he did. But see, all those, even though they were actual real happenings, they are pictures of our salvation. They are pictures of God's uh, deliverance of his people from sin and bringing them into rest and what Christ has done for them. And this is no different here. While this was a true event that took place, There is some spiritual understanding for us to see here. And one of it is that no man comes to life, spiritually speaking, apart from Christ commanding the Holy Spirit of God to go and bring them people to life. Look here at Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. He said, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy son of man and say to the wind thus saith the Lord God come from the four winds O breath and breathe upon these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me so the spirit command was commanded of this of the son of man to blow he says then he said unto me prophesy under the wind, prophesy, son of man, say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds O breath, and breathe upon thee. So I prophesied as he commanded me, so Christ proph- prophesied or preached as he commanded him and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Remember I was saying earlier that everyone that was given to Christ will be saved. Everyone that was given to him will be given eternal life. Everyone that was given to Christ, the wind will blow as it listeth upon them, giving them eternal life. Not one will be lost. We read, not one will be lost and all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Why? Because I will cause them to be born again. I will give them faith. I will give them repentance. They will come to me. They couldn't before because they didn't have spiritual desire. They didn't have spiritual ability. Now they do because I've caused them to be born from above. These bones couldn't stand up and walk and become an exceeding army because they had no life in them. They had everything else. They had the flesh but they didn't have the spirit. The Spirit blew upon them, give them life, and what happened? They came alive. And they became an army. They became a people under the Lord. But what does it say here? The whole house of Israel. Now we know throughout Scripture, while the Bible in the Old Testament talks about an ethnic, national group of people, that that is a type and shadow of all the people of God. When we get into the New Testament, there is no more Jew and Gentile. There is no more Israel and everybody else. Because the Bible says that through the uh, through the cross of Jesus Christ, the two is became uh, the twain, the two has become one man. We have become one in one body in Christ Jesus. It's no longer male, and female, Jew or Gentile, anything like that. We are all one in Christ Jesus. The Jews doesn't have a superior place with God. Okay. They are not special because they are Jews. They're not special because they're from Israel. Okay, there's nothing special about that land over there. There's nothing special about the people that live in that land over there. They're not going to get all the kudos at some thousand year reign. Brethren, it's about Christ and his bride. And the Bible says that his bride is one Israel. It's not all that are uh, are of Israel are Israel. The Bible says that the Israel of God is not the Israel that is the, the, the Jew, is not one who is a Jew that is outwardly, but one that is one that is inwardly. It says that the Israel of God is not the ones who are the natural seed of Abraham, but the spiritual seed of Abraham. The ones who have been given the faith that Abraham was given. That's who the true Israel of God is. That's the Israel who the Bible says so all of Israel. Will be saved. Why will they all be saved? Right here. The command of God was to go and breathe upon them and that they will all come to life. And what will happen when they all come to life? He said, These bones are the whole house of Israel. Not one of them is going to be left undone. And he says, Behold, they say, Our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God behold O my people I will open your graves and cause you to come out come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves O my people and brought you up out of my uh, out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Who's the one that performed it? Was it the preacher that did it? No, it was the Son of Man who commanded the wind to blow where he told it to go, and it went and did as he told it to do, and the, uh, uh, the result was efficacious, or the result was it, it it did it. What he said to do, it did It wasn't an invitation. He didn't invite them to come alive. He didn't coerce them to come alive. There wasn't 15 hymns of just as I am to get them to come and receive them being made alive. No. He commanded it. The Spirit performed it. They came alive. And not one was left behind. Not one was missed. In Romans chapter 10, the Bible says... Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now that word there in that verse is Rima. Faith comes by hearing. How do we believe on Christ? See, we're again we're 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 pondering this notion that some say that we are born again by the preaching of the gospel, and we're holding out that the Bible teaches that we are born again by the immediate work of the Holy Spirit upon the person without any means. And here it says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there there you go. You have to have the word of God preached so that you can have faith to believe. Well, again, what's the order there? Faith has to be first before you can believe, right? You have to be given faith so that you can have faith to believe in something. But faith comes by what? Hearing. So hearing has to precede Faith, right? You can't believe on something unless you first have the ability to hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rema or the command or instruction of God. Now, doesn't the Bible tell us that the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has given them both? How is it that you hear? by the command of God to hear how do we begin to hear well hearing is a spiritual thing hearing the word of God is a spiritual thing because the Bible says the natural man cannot hear and understand the word of God apart from being spiritually alive so you have to be spiritually alive before there can be any kind of spiritual hearing the spiritual hearing comes when the command of God to the spirit of God says give them life Whenever that happens, then they have the capacity to hear, and with the capacity to hear, they now have the capacity with faith to trust and believe and to repent and to follow, to hope. You see, it all comes down first to the immediate work of the Holy Spirit being done without any means because the means cannot work without the Holy Spirit's work preceding it. Look with me if you would, because I don't want to leave us without what the gospel actually is for. Because here's somebody just recently said, well, if that's the case, then what's the use of preaching the gospel? You should go. There ain't no need to preach the gospel. Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. There is a purpose for the gospel. Because we believe in predestination, because we believe in election, because we believe in the uh, immediate work of the Holy Spirit doesn't negate the need for the gospel. God has given us the gospel. It's just that men have twisted what it's given given for. Second, Timi- or, yeah, Second Timothy chapter 1. And look with me, if you would, starting in verse 9. Actually, let's back up uh, verse 7. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Okay, what's another word for the testimony of our Lord? The gospel. Okay. Therefore, be not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Who have saved us, past tense, and called us, past tense, with a holy calling, not according to our works. We were not saved according to our works, whether it's your individual works inwardly, outwardly, or my outward works towards you as a preacher. You all about to see that? And I pray the Spirit's given us understanding of that. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. He didn't call us, He didn't save us according to our works. Had nothing to do with anything in us or outside of us or somebody else working on us. But what, what was it according to? How was your salvation brought about? But according to his own purpose and grace. See, you were saved by grace. You were saved because God purposed to save you. You were if you're saved, you're saved because you were one that God gave to Christ, as we've seen in John chapter six, all that the Father giveth me. You're the one that is of the house of Israel, who the Lord blew on and come alive and became the Israel of God. You are the one who is the seed. We're going to see that here in just a second. It says, but according to his own purpose and grace. When did that happen? Whenever the preacher preached to you? When did that happen? When you knelt down at an old-fashioned altar? Was that whenever it was given to you? Remember, this is past tense. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our words, but according to our purpose Uh, the purpose and grace which was given us in Christ before the foundation, before the world began. That's amazing. That goes against everything I learned growing up. I learned that that happened whenever I made the decision and bent my knee and surrendered my life and gave my life to Jesus. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's why I said if doctrine is important, we don't, we don't learn these things without the teaching of the Scriptures. If we just listen to men all day long without looking at what God's Word says, those men who can be wrong and often are wrong, including myself, I pray the Lord keeps me faithful to the truth. But if we listen to that all day long, we'll never know what the actual Word says here until the Spirit brings us into light. But why is the Gospel given? See, that, all that salvation, all that stuff is something that happened outside of us, apart from us, by the work of God, alone. No hand in it at all from us. But look at verse 10. <coughs> this salvation that has been given to us is now made manifest. What does that mean? Made manifest. It means to be brought to light. To be brought out into the open. For the curtain to be Brought back so you can see what's behind it. You ever watch Monty Hall? Let's make a deal. What's behind curtain number three? Hope you don't get a wah wah wah. Salvation has already been given, it is already completed, it is already secured. Listen, it is already appointed. It just needs to be made manifest. It needs to be brought out into light. When Monty Hall was standing there with those three curtains, there was already something behind every one of those curtains, but nobody could see it until the curtain was opened up. Whenever the curtain opened up, you found out whether you got something good or you got something bad. The gospel is the teaching of Jesus Christ's accomplished work of salvation. That's what the gospel is. The gospel isn't about what you have to do. The gospel is about what Christ has done. And so it is now being made manifest by the appearing of our savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. And this phrase really intrigued me several years ago whenever I read it over and over again. And it, and it just like, it's right there, plain as day. And I don't know how I never did talk, catch it. Well, I never did catch it because it hadn't been revealed to me yet. God hadn't given me life about it. Life on it yet. The gospel or our salvation is now made manifest by Jesus who had hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light by the gospel. Not to he didn't bring life and immortality to life through the gospel. He brought it to light. That word light there means to illuminate, to be made manifest. To be enlightened. We didn't know it. We've now been enlightened. Now, that coupled with Ephesians chapter 1, 17 and 18. I'll read this real quick because I'm going long here. Looks like, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, we believe that's conversion okay to be brought in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done to get, be given repentance and faith in him that's all part of conversion that happens separate than quickening which is the giving of life which gives you the ability to believe believing repenting all those things are part of conversion he says <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So you already have eyes of understanding, but the eyes of understanding have yet to be enlightened. So we've been born from above, we've been quickened already and been given understanding eyes. But yet those understanding eyes has to then hear what to understand. It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Why? That ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. See, we have to be given eyes first. We have to be given ears first before the understanding and the the hearing can actually happen. Okay? Okay? So this notion of all that coming before you're born again is, is, is totally opposite of what the Bible teaches. Also note this, back in our passage in, in 1 Peter, beginning at the uh, first verse, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now notice there that we are begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We were born from above by the resurrection. It was by the work of God that secured our quickening. It wasn't the work of the pastor. It wasn't the work of an evangelist. It wasn't the work of your choice. It was the work of Christ on your behalf. And it says to an inheritance incorruptible. There's that word. That word was in our verse this morning, right? Right. The incorruptible seed. It says, to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away. That fadeth not away. That sounds like that endures forever, right? If it doesn't fade away, it stays forever, right? But it says inheritance. So is that talking about Jesus or is that talking about our salvation? Or maybe it's talking about both. Well, I know one thing. Psalms chapter 16 and verse 5 says this The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The psalmist reveals that Christ is our inheritance. Now, I know a lot of people just can't wait to get to heaven so they can see their mom or dad or sister or brother or aunt and uncle, or whatever. I know some may be wanting to get to heaven because they're going to have a mansion to live in. You know? Some may want to get to heaven because they think you're going to be walking on streets of gold. If you look at Revelation, there's only one street of gold there, by the way. It says the street of gold. Singular, not plural. Which doesn't mean an actual street, but that's for another day. Jesus is our inheritance. Christ is our inheritance who is incorruptible, undefiled that fadeth not away. Now, This is my second point, and you think, well, good night. second point now. But it's a quick point. We know the Word of God in our passage here, verse 23, uh, is not the Bible because of the context that we find the phrase. This incorruptible seed that I'm talking about. The incorruptible seed is Christ and the life of that seed that has been planted within the vessel of clay. Christ is the seed that's incorruptible. And he places within us that incorruptible seed. It's him and him alone that causes us to be born again by the giving of his life. It's his life. In Genesis, everybody that comes to church here has heard me preach this often. There is a principle found in in the book of Genesis at the very beginning that life begets life, that God has created all things and they reproduce after their own kind. They reproduce after their own kind. So every peach tree, it never does produce grapes. Okay? The peach tree makes peaches, right? I'm never going to walk out to, you know, an apple tree staring at it, all the apples in there and say, well, man, where did the watermelons go? I should have got a watermelon. Okay? That's, That's not, you know, that's not how it works. Adam begat everybody of his kind, which was corruptible. Jesus produced everybody of his kind, heavenly, which is incorruptible. It is him and him alone that has caused us to be born again. And he did that by giving us his life, which the Bible says that his life is eternal life. And he give us that life by his Holy Spirit who he commands to go and be given to, to breathe upon, to give life to everyone that has been given of the Father. That life was already ours. It was already ours. The Bible said that we were saved and called with a holy calling before the world began. But it's now being made manifest by the appearing of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who through that gospel makes life and immortality brought to light. It, it's showing light, throwing light on it, what was already there. We didn't have knowledge of it because we weren't spiritual yet. We didn't have spiritual understanding to know that we have been saved. But now because of the Spirit being given to us, we are able to believe the Word of God when it's preached and the gospel of God that is given, that it is for us. You see it there in verse 23. It's contrasted with the incorruptible and the corruptible. They're contrasted. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed. This is a parallel verse to John 3, 16, where Nicodemus and uh, Jesus was talking. Remember, Nicodemus said, you know, how can I get back in my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, hey, Nicodemus, you're crazy. You're thinking on physical things, not spiritual things. You were born once of the flesh, that which is flesh is just flesh, and all it produces is flesh, the flesh produces flesh after its own kind the flesh the first seed has the life of all the seeds after it, everything that's in that seed is going to happen at the end of time whenever the very last seed comes out of that first seed and it's all going to be the same, it's going to be flesh and it doesn't change, it doesn't become anything different but that which is born of the Spirit, there's another birth. There's another seed to take into account, Nicodemus, and it's not the physical seed. It's not the fleshly seed. It's the spiritual seed. It's the heavenly seed. And that is the seed that is eternal life. Being born again, not of the corruptible seed. You don't get back up in your mother's womb and be born again. But of incorruptible. This is a spiritual birth. And that is by the word or the Logos of God, Christ Jesus, which liveth and abideth forever. So we see there. there's even the contrast between the flesh, Adam, and the spirit, Christ. But also, thirdly and lastly, the context bears witness in the following verse that a distinction is made between the spoken word and the true word, Christ Look at verse 25. It says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. So there that is again. It says, The word of the Lord endureth forever. Now, we're already seeing several places where the Bible talks about Christ being forever. I mean, we didn't even get into all the uh, verses about the immutability and the eternality of Christ. You know, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, we didn't get into all those verses even. But just the verses that we looked at that talked about that he's our he's our inheritance that uh, fadeth not away. Right? But it says the word of the Lord endureth forever. Now pay close attention to the phrasing here. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the word of the Lord is in view here. What does that mean? well in John chapter 12 verse 34 it is Christ who endureth and abideth forever and we read that it is because of that so look here the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you what do we preach when we preach the gospel we preach Christ right Who is preached whenever we preach the gospel? Now, I know if you listen to TV preachers and radio preachers and, you know, half the people on every corner in the United States, they're going to tell you, what do we preach? We preach you choose. You you believe. You receive. You come and get something. You come and give something. Whatever it is, you come and do. You have to do this. Fill in the blank. Okay? Okay. But according to scripture, who do we preach in the gospel? What do we preach in the gospel? We preach the finished work of Jesus Christ. We preach what he has done. The gospel is not an invitation. It is a declaration. The gospel is not a command. It is a declaration. He is not commanding us to repent and believe. We repent and believe when we're given life. It comes by the nature of the Spirit that is in us. So, who is it which by the gospel is preached unto you? Jesus Christ. Well, it just so happens that Jesus Christ is the Word. So, read that again. But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. Let's just say Christ. But... Christ endureth forever and this is Christ which by the gospel is preached unto you. So going back to verse 23 we see being born again not of corruptible adam seed but of incorruptible christ seed by the by christ which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord, Christ, endureth forever. And this is the Christ which by the gospel is preached unto you. This whole thing is going all the way back to the whole premise of this whole thing. Is blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefined, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I mean, all that down through there is about talking about Christ. For as much as ye know that... Verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was what? There, there's that word again. But was manifested in these times for you. Who by him do believe in God? It's by him that you believe. How is it By him. He sent the Spirit to quicken you so that you could believe. The whole context of 1 Peter chapter 1 is the central point, which is Christ. So why do we want to all of a sudden break off at these last two verses here and want to make it about us? Make it about the Spirit? I mean, make it about the preacher preaching a message? It's about Christ, brethren. We are born again because... Of Jesus Christ. And the distinction is made here. The word of the Lord endureth forever. Or excuse me. um, Yeah, the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word. Which by the gospel. Which is. That's talking about this. The word. The spoken word. is preached unto you. We preach the spoken word. And who do we preach? We preach Christ in it. So scripture tells us that the gospel is given to bring life and immortality to life. It's given to us here that it is, uh, the, the Scriptures is given to us to reveal or to make manifest what has already been done to us and for us. It's a manifesting of an already existing truth. And so many think, and Jesus even said this, brethren, if you'll remember, many think that they have eternal life by searching the scriptures. But what did Jesus say? It's them that testify of me. And see, we have brethren here today, and they're good brethren. And many of them I love, that I know I love, that are in the Lord. And they are preaching that you are born again, or that you are uh, 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 quickened by some instrumentality or by some means of grace. And and not by Christ alone, by His Spirit in, in, in an immediate way. That it has to take some effort of man before that can take place. And, and, and we just pray that the Lord would give understanding to that. That it is a manifesting of something that is already there. And that we can't search the scriptures and get eternal life by doing so. It is in him and him alone who gives life. And so I pray, brethren, that we always will magnify Christ over what we do. Over what somebody else does. Does anybody have any questions or comments or a rebuke or correction? No? Well, I pray that uh, you are edified by by the Word today. Uh, always available if you ever have questions or if you ever uh, want to talk privately. Sometimes you don't like to talk in an open environment. That's all right, too. Uh... I'll spend as much time as I want to give a reason for why I believe in what we hold to here. So if anybody doesn't have any anything to add, then let's pray and we'll be dismissed. We have lunch prepared, so if anybody wants to stay and have lunch, they're welcome to uh, eat some lunch with us. Or if you need to get on down the road, we understand that as well. Uh, but we do have uh, lunch provided. Heavenly mm-hmm. we Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you now and we thank you so much again for Christ Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the word of God, the truth that uh, we can go to uh, for everything that we need. Uh, we truly believe that uh, it is the source of of, uh, of our faith and practice. And Lord, we just um, are so grateful today for the work of Christ in salvation, uh, for the work of the uh, spirit being sent to us to quicken us uh, for the spirit that is inside of us to give us understanding and knowledge of Christ to um, hoping in Christ and upon Christ looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, for giving us uh, <clears throat> a hope uh, of life to come uh, that this life is not all that's left for us but that uh, that uh, Christ will return and in his return, Uh, The sheep will be separated from the goats, uh, the wheat from the chaff, and uh, your people will be gathered in uh, together with you and to spend eternity uh, praising and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just thank you so much that you have given us grace. Uh, Lord, we know that we don't deserve it. everyone in here are sinners by nature and we all have uh, transgressed your law. We cannot keep it. We cannot perform it. We have no righteousness of our own. And we are in desperate need of a righteousness outside of us. And you alone are our righteousness. And so, Lord, I pray that today that you give that same hope to all these that are here. Lord, I pray that they're your children and that they are uh, your seed. And that you will bring them in, uh, Lord, in your appointed time. And so, again, we thank you for the visitors that we've had today. Lord, we pray that you give them safety in any of the travels we pray for our brethren that are in Oklahoma City today that you might give them safety in their travels back home uh Lord we just are so grateful again for the meeting that we had together here and we just ask that you would um be with us now as we leave this place that you might uh, keep us safe this week and that you might give us opportunity to speak of Christ and Lord we pray for the food that we're about to eat may may you nourish our bodies by it and it's in Christ's name that we pray Amen.